This is Framed, a podcast where a group of friends get together once a week to talk about movies, what we liked about them, what we didn't like, and how they're made. I'm Elliot. I'm Robert. I'm Phil. And I'm Brennan. On this episode of Framed, we take a look at The Shape of Water, the Academy Award-winning film about a woman falling in love with a fish man. Do we want to give a synopsis, Elliot? Uh, yeah, sure. So, The Shape of Water is about a mute uh, janitorial worker named Eliza, who works at a government lab, and she comes in contact with this fish man that's been captured by the government, and while the government is planning on doing experiments and or killing the fish, she has fallen in love with him. Because he likes eggs. Because he likes her eggs. Um... (laughs) And so this sets off a heartwarming romance between fish and woman. Yeah, I mean, um, to be fair, humanoid, intelligent, alien, and woman. It, it's not like she fell in love with a dolphin. Um, right. No, yeah. it's like Creature from the Black yes. Lagoon. Yep. Is how I would describe the monster. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Let's do a quick roundtable of opinions okay. so we can find out where everyone stands and then we'll do the walking no through the film. Oh, that's true. We have a new host on the show Hello. today. We have Phil Ridgway. I'm Welcome, Philip. Thank Dr. you. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil Dr. in the house. Phil. With vaguely questionably good medical advice <laughs> to go around. <laughs> I haven't do you killed want to anyone say a yet. little bit of... Say a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, I am Elliot's younger brother. I'm currently going to medical school in Oklahoma, and I've just finished my first year. So that's why I've been so darn busy all the time. Technically, you were sort of pseudo-participating on the last round of movies. I I wanted to be in the last round of uh, movie discussions, but then final hit. Saving Private Ryan was your pick, right? Yeah, yeah. But you weren't able to make it to that one. I, I, I chose that because I still hadn't seen it, and I haven't seen it still. So <laughs> at Aww. some point. Well, listen to our podcast. It's pretty great. Oh, man. <laughs> I will be looking forward to that. Um, so, so, opinion. Who wants to go first? I think that this was hands down the best woman falls in love with fish movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't know that there's a whole lot of competition It also there. might be the worst woman falls in love with fish movie I've ever seen, but... Yeah, by, yeah, by categorization. That, that is praise that I'm willing to give it. <laughs> I'll be the first to dip my toes in the water. Oh. So, <laughs> uh, so I picked this movie not knowing anything about it. Mm-hmm. other than it looked interesting and it won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. So I went Hot into stuff. it like, this has got to be great. I'll start out with the positives of what <laughs> I liked about this movie. Don't laugh. We're, 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 we're going to take a journey here. Take a journey. Uh, so I love the look of this movie. I love the production design, like all of the sets, 100% all agree. the color correction all the just the look of this was just wonderful i loved the way the apartment building looked where everything just perpetually looked like it was wet was was just great um yeah and like the diner with the neon glow the the labs just the way everything looked was just great um <laughs> and that's to, it. And that's it. Good night, folks. Well, so I I think I, I liked the the plot basically um, in a skeletal sort of way. I think that the the basic narrative was. I mean, this is basically just a retelling of Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so I think that on a on a certain level, mm-hmm. I did enjoy this movie. Um. 
it's in the particulars where I like the more I thought about it after I finished watching it, the more it started to fall apart for me <coughs> where I started remembering scenes where it was like, yeah, that could have been cut. That didn't need to be there. Yeah. There were, there's quite a bit that felt extraneous to me. Um, especially in the back half, like the, the latter half of the movie really drags compared to the first half. So there was a lot that felt like it could have been cut. Um, so yeah, I, I came away from this movie liking it, but then the more I think about it, the less I like it. So, um, I'll, I'll just leave it there and let somebody else say their piece. Give me a scale of pain. Like how would you rate it from a zero to a 10? Just a general, like overall. Okay, doctor. We're a 10. <laughs> like 10 <laughs> being, gosh, guy, this is the best movie since the room. Well, now, now you've now I'm confused. Okay, okay. I don't know. Ten, ten best movie, zero worst movie. Give me, give okay. me a score. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably put it at a six or a seven, okay. maybe a six. So, okay. Uh, Brennan, what did you think of Shape of Water? So, um, I, as a whole, it wasn't bad. Um, I probably wouldn't watch it again. Hmm. Um. I liked the a lot of the filming shots. I thought were, looked nice. The scenes, the set was good. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, there were some scenes that weren't really necessary. Right. That I mean, the story could have gone without it. Um, I mean, it wasn't a bad movie, but. I would I would probably rate it a five or a six. Okay. <laughs> Phil. Oh me. Uh, I, I have many a thought, many a thought. Um. <laughs> so, you got a lot of the stuff out of the way that I was going to talk about the sort of visuals, the uh, everything from like the set design to the lighting. I thought they actually just nailed super well. Oh, I yeah. thought it was just a gorgeous movie to look at. Absolutely. And specifically, <laughs> uh, I really liked the uh, aesthetics of the whole movie. What it reminded me of a lot was the... Uh, of maybe you take uh, Lemony Snicket and make it twisted darker and more mature. Yeah. There's that. I get a very uh, surreal vibe from that. And I didn't really realize how much I enjoyed that until I saw this film. I thought it was very pleasant from that perspective. Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about that. And we might dive in deeper in a little bit. But it seemed oh. like... Dive in deeper. I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> um, it seemed like was in a familiar time, but also in its own time. Like it, it could have been Cold it, it had War, a very... but it could also be, you know, on another planet. You know, in an. Yeah. It had a very fairy tale, like removed from reality, kind of feel yeah. to it. The thing, the other media that this reminded me of was, I, it, I could see that Lemony Snicket connection. What this reminded me of was Bioshock. Yes, yes, very um, much so. Just because of all the underwater kind of, you, you know, underwater kind of like mashed together with like old timey music yeah. as your aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I can see that. Go, go on. Oh, uh, one analogy I thought that was very nice to kind of sum up my feelings is, it's 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 like a very shallow, pretty puddle. You, you like looking <laughs> at it, but it doesn't go that far deep. I had heard a bit about it before I'd watched it, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, I being the best picture of the year, you kind of have certain expectations going into it, and right. I was actually kind of uh, floored with how uh, simple the characters in the story was. Like for being best picture, I honestly did not feel surprised or like shocked at any of the like story developments it felt like it played out kind of how it was set up right so that that kind of took me away i was like i didn't expect it to be that straightforward um yeah from a story and a character perspective i thought it was kind of weak uh some of it felt a couple a couple of the scenes felt superfluous but Mm -hmm. uh not to ramble on too long but I don't know. I, I'd say this is about a six or a seven for me. Like it, it was good, and I enjoyed it from the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. I just wish the characters were written. Eh, I don't know. 
It seemed like they didn't really like they they were quirky and weird, but they didn't really interact with each other. If that makes sense. I don't know. Kind also, of, yeah. The, so would you say this this was a wash for you? Uh, the the scars on her neck was the stupidest thing. <laughs> I hate everything about that whole subplot. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Okay. So to set the scene for all you uh, um, shape of water lovers out there, um, <laughs> who it sounds like we're not going to make too happy. Um, I watched this. No, actually, this is kind of like uniformly across the board. Uh, like we're, it sounds like we're kind of all landing in the same you spot. You haven't heard me yet. This is the best movie I've <laughs> okay, ever sorry, seen. Sorry, sorry. I've oh, got baby. a tattoo of it on my face now. Um, <laughs> did you get? Did you get some scars? Yeah, I tattooed added to your the neck? scars onto my neck. You know, someone out there has done <laughs> yes. that. Yes. <laughs> oh, somebody on Tumblr has done that. Um. So to set the scene, I watched this movie at like midnight flying over the Pacific. <laughs> so I did not get to appreciate it in the uh, way that the director intended, for sure. Um, <laughs> because I had Truly random optimized. intercom announcements interrupting it. <laughs> um, I started it before takeoff, which was a mistake because we were delayed a little bit. Um, so I was about like, eh, halfway through act one, probably. And the Virgin America safety video then interrupted it and started playing. <laughs> I'm not sure if any of you guys have seen this. I just sent you the link and, uh, I haven't seen we... this. Figure out show notes. We'll put. I'll have Elliot put the link in the show notes as well. Um, but it is this very campy attempt to do like a, a flash mob musical number about safety, and it's about as good as that pitch would make you think it would be. Um, so, so what you're telling me is that you thought this was part of the movie. <laughs> I thought it was a weird choice. Um, <laughs> Bold. It was bold to break out into this bold del Toro, uh, but it fit the musical theme of the you know film. So no, um, so I had those interruptions, and also this was the first time that I had watched a film on not my own device when flying, um, which. Um, I had read some of the articles talking about directors being upset with their stuff getting uh, censored or cut or blurred or that sort of stuff uh, to meet the regulations. Right. Uh, but I hadn't ever like really considered that. And it was very evident that this had gotten tweaked. So take everything I'm about to say, you know, with with those glasses on, understanding that I'm aware that I didn't see it, you know, in the way that it was intended to be seen. That being said, I thought the use of color to tell story in this movie was phenomenal. Um, uh, we'll get to it later, but putting our villain in a turquoise water-colored car that he doesn't like, but <laughs> is forced in, like, just... Just the the use of every department so clearly being there for the narrative um, was was ten out of ten in my book. Um, but similarly to Phil, I I knew this movie as soon as it started. I I never mm -hmm. found myself surprised by any moment, you know. Right. So. I don't know. I I'd probably give it a seven, a, a solid seven. I thought it did what it wanted to do well, but it it yeah. didn't blow my mind and make me need to see it a million times. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. That's. I think I would be content to never watch this again. I mean, I'm I'm glad I saw it. I can say that I saw it, but I don't. Uh, probably won't be revisiting this yeah. one. Anytime soon. Phil uh, is 
distracting me with, with Sorry. Shape of Water memes. It's, it's a good time. I, honestly, <laughs> what struck me was it's, like, thematically, it's just, it's kind of a crude comparison, but saying it's a better written Twilight, that kind of hopped into my <laughs> mind a couple of times. I, think, I was kind of thinking a reverse Little Mermaid. <laughs> reverse Little Mermaid. I like that better than, like, both of those are better than just saying this is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I don't think This is Beauty and the Beast is really that fair. Um, you'd have to do a fair amount of of shoehorning it in for that to fit, because, like, is... Well, I don't, I don't mean Disney Beauty and the Beast. I just mean the, like, sort of archetypal okay, yeah. Beauty and the Beast sort of That's story. Fair. Um... So the the government head of security was Gaston. <laughs> okay, who was Belle? No. Well, it was uh, Eliza, obviously. But she was sort of the captor. Mm. So your beast okay, kind of yeah, has a good to point. be Belle, which is what I meant that it yeah. would take a fair amount of shoehorning. Sure, okay, Which yeah. brings me to my second point. Let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, do we want to talk about the other characters that populate this colorful cast? <laughs> sure. So we've got Eliza's best friend at the lab, uh, Zelda. Mm-hmm. No relation to Legend of. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I thought she was a reasonably well-written character. She was actually probably the most interesting of the cast, in my opinion. What did you guys think? I do like her a lot as an actress. I feel like she mm-hmm. does good in a lot of her movies. I hadn't really seen her before, but I thought she did a pretty good job. Let's, uh, let me go look it up. I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, if this was like intended or accidental humor, but just like how willingly she goes along with everything <laughs> that happens kind of <laughs> stood out to me. It's like... You know, the craziest stuff would be happening in this lab, and she'd just be like, Lance, sakes, the stuff that goes on in here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it yeah. kind of went with the, that time, though, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. In terms of how... What, what do you mean by that? I mean, it was in the 60s during the Cold War, and a lot, a lot of... During that time were... There was a lot of race issues at that point. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I thought, yeah, that was interesting. The, uh, the, the, yeah, this movie seemed to address a lot of different, like, social themes. Yeah, I thought. yeah, because like, you had race, you had mute, you had. I'm guessing the other guy was gay. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. like sexuality, like uh, themes present throughout the movie. Like, yes, he just was gay. Uh, the whole. <laughs> What do you mean you're guessing he was gay? No, 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 he just really likes pie. Just that one guy's pie. That was a big shock whenever that happened, I'm not going to lie. He he saw there was a little bit of pie on the guy's hand, and so that's why he grabbed his hand. He was Mm -hmm. trying to get the pie. Man man just loves pie. Um, So, not to... Shape of pie. (laughs) That's the sequel, Shape of Pie. Shape of pie. No, Life of Pie. Ooh, nice. Um... Now, that was actually the first scene that I was going to talk about in terms of, like, being, like, completely superfluous. Like, I I get that, you know, this is, like, an issue that Del Toro wanted to include in the film. So I viewed it differently. I thought that it was showing us that, see, here is a forbidden love that you can relate to now look at this other forbidden love right um which i thought was the stupidest thing ever (laughs) i was like i get this you don't need to to paint large hammer you over the head with it bluntly well it it just didn't fit to like i yeah thematically i can see why it was included but if you just look at it from a story structure perspective that didn't like that could that scene could have ended up on the cutting room floor and the the final film wouldn't have been affected in any way maybe but he needed to be convinced to go along with the heist yeah maybe so like a lot of the scenes so we can talk about what was his name giles the painter neighbor guy 
So I actually kind of felt like a lot of the scenes where it was just Giles could have been cut. Um, not mm. just the, the scene in the, the diner that the we were just talking about. but his of him trying to sell his art to advertising. Make the jello green. Make the jello green. Yeah, what was that all about? Because that didn't go anywhere. Well, I, I figured that just kind of f- uh, fit into the whole like color schematic where they mostly have green, like turquoise and red were the three chief colors of the film. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking more about, like, why were those scenes present I- at all? Well, from what I took from it, when they uh, use the color red, that's after uh, she uh, uh, has that with the fish man. So it's kind of like this, like, uh, unfulfilled, like, passion or desire. Mm-hmm. So if you notice, like, the first time he brings the jello painting to the guy, he it's red, but the guy wants him to change it to green. So I just thought it was kind of a ham-fisted way of getting at that suppression of his uh, unrequited desire interesting that's how i took it that's not how i read it at all but that's <laughs> that's that's fair i i did notice they were doing a lot of stuff with color in this um where certain colors were meant to represent things but i feel like i would have to watch it multiple times to totally get what does green mean what does turquoise mean but they, it did seem like they were playing with colors a lot yeah. in in terms of meta themes about the story so we we kick things off with a sort of a surreal intro where we see her apartment underwater um, with some narration on top of that. What what did we think of that? I felt like it was pointless. <laughs> oh, okay. I I'll, actually I'll thought be straight like... up. I mean, at yeah, first go, go I thought ahead. at first I thought it was going somewhere like I thought that they would somehow circle. I mean, they kind of circled back with the bathroom, where they mm-hmm. when they filled up the bathroom. But that was pretty much it. It was wasn't the whole apartment. It was just the bathroom. Right. So if they would have circled back to the apartment, I would have liked it a bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I mean, they did circle know. back. It it was bookends. It, the narration yeah. was the beginning and the end. And yeah, the. And the point of it is she okay. is the water, you know. Love is the shape of water. You can't, you can't define it. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. describe it even. But but we know it, it can when form we see it. It's in. Um, well, I think what Brennan is saying and what what I was kind of frustrated by is that the movie never arrived at that point where her apartment was literally submerged underwater. At least that's what I was waiting for at the yeah. end, was for the apartment to go underwater somehow. Mm. Would we never reach that point? But I, I don't know. You could say it was like a dream. Yeah, that's how I interpret it. she wakes it. up. You know, an alarm yeah. well, stops it, so. Like, uh, Robert was mentioning about bookends. Like, I thought it was kind of summarized and, like, fulfilled at the very end when they're both floating in the water. Like, mm-hmm. She it opens up with her floating in her apartment asleep, and then ends with her floating with the fish man. So I, I thought it it was nice to have there. I thought it was an interesting little way to open a movie, but I don't know. I didn't make too much of it. Mm-hmm. Seemed to focus so, on clocks a lot in this film. Yeah, I did notice that. Really? Yes. That is true. There there were a lot of clocks and um, timers. There there were a certain like. Uh, emphasis in the dialogue too on time and eternity i noticed that that kept coming up in the dialogue but i i didn't feel like it ever led anywhere (laughs) yeah there's a lot of stuff like that in this where it's like it started off as an interesting idea and then it kind of doesn't really go the direction you'd expect i guess or doesn't even resolve in some cases right yeah, let's. Do you guys want to talk about Eliza herself? Because I I have some thoughts about her as a character. Um. I didn't really feel like she went anywhere in terms of character development. Um, like she. <laughs> Whatever. She was she basically went from making two eggs in the morning to making eight. So lots <laughs> of change. Wow, I I take back everything I just said. No, but like she's she's essentially the same character at the end of the film as she is at the beginning. Like she doesn't have a 
you know what I'm trying to say? She she basically gets everything she wants. Yes, I mm-hmm. and doesn't have to undergo any kind of sacrifice to do it. If anything, that, the characters around her have to sacrifice more than she does. Right, and yeah, it's like that's not what you want as for your central protagonist. You want them to undergo some kind of like, you know, character change. But you know, she she sort of just gets what she wants at every every turn in the movie. Mm. I think that's from fair. like a. From like a pure acting standpoint, I thought uh, Sally Hawkins did a pretty good job. I oh like yeah, some, some of her scenes, especially um, all the characters, I thought were very well acted. I feel yeah, like there was no. a the the main thing I see in progression with her, and this kind of goes along with the clocks and times. Uh, she it seemed like in the v- beginning of the movie, she was very like she timed everything. Like going with the clocks, hmm. she could, like a lot of the stuff she did was timed and very. Uh, what's the word? Um, I mean, precise, meticulous. Yeah, she, yeah, she's very precise. But then, towards the end, it, as she's falling in love with this sea creature of doom, whatever, um, she. <laughs> um, the captioning opens up- said, "Amphibious man." If you want the official title of the game. Yeah. She, she's more lively, more free, more. Mm. Yeah, I, I get what you're She breaks to say. away from her routine and. Right. Is, gets to be more happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. So it's like she, she had this very orderly, precise life before she encounters the fish man and then once she falls in love she kind of loosens up yeah i want to say her scene where she's uh talking to uh giles trying to convince him that uh the fish man and the people are not that different trying to implore him to help the i thought I that signed. was just say what the say what, say what i sign so yeah say say what i sign scene I thought that was actually super well done. Like, just mm-hmm. the emotions go- on both actors I thought was just phenomenally well executed. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I thought the acting in this movie overall was, was top-notch. Yeah. So when I'm griping about the characters, it's more to do from, like, a story standpoint. not From, like, you know, yeah, the, writing. Yeah, acting was, was top-notch throughout, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, I, I was kind of talking about this before we uh, started the podcast, but I had just, uh, just today watched Paddington 2, which also features mm-hmm. uh, Sally Hawkins as the uh, right. mother character. She plays Mrs. Brown. And that is just such whiplash going between the two uh, movies. I was kind of... It made me reevaluate how well she did in The Shape of Water. I was like, wow, she did a fantastic job. Yeah, mm-hmm. just having to carry an entire story without any dialogue and just just through, oh, yeah. through you. You know, you don't have anything right. to hide behind. It's just, can you tell this story? Um, very impressive. Then my brows. Yeah. Yeah, I thought there were certain sequences in this movie that were approaching, like, sort of Chaplin-esque sort of qualities in terms of just how much we were able to proceed through the film without any dialogue. Like, it had a kind of silent film (coughs) quality to it. So, speaking Uh, of that, I have... What was your all's opinion about the, um, what I felt not needed... German scenes, I guess. Was that what they were speaking? Was oh, Russian. Russian. It was the Russians. Or Russian. That was another subplot that, yeah, yeah, that, that I just didn't I was really lost. feel. It was like it, that could have been cut pretty much. Well, yeah. I mean, it gave the, the scientist character motivation to do what he did, and it provided a sort of timetable for them to be forced to do it. So... It, without it, I think the story becomes too loose, and like you don't have that urge to like know that there are multiple parties in force and kind of ratcheting up the stakes. At the yeah. same time, I do th- I do think they were underutilized, like a couple of the other subplots in this yes. movie, but it didn't seem too egregious to me. I I mean I I would agree with you for the first half of the film. Like so when I when I'm talking about first half, second half, like it's kind of the middle of Pre- the movie. Pre fish napping. Yeah, the middle of the movie is the 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 heist where they decide they're going to break the fish man out of the government lab and to me that felt like they were building towards like this is the climax like most other movies that would have been your climax like the big heist scene where they 
rescue him from the lab. Yeah. Um, and I felt like up to that point, the subplot with the Russians was working for me where I felt like there was tension and, you know, who's going to get the fish, like which, which one of these, all of these interested parties, like who's going to win. Um, but then like the, the Russian agent, like, I guess Bob was his cover name. Um, he, he just is sort of like, Oh yeah, you can run away with him. Cause I, you know, I don't want him to get killed in science. So go free. Um, and then he, he just kind of becomes this friendly force who's not going to do what the Russians want, and he's not going to do... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Phil, Phil just posted, I would watch a show called Whose Fish Was It Anyway? Um, any, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Didn't I just felt like the movie kind of deflated after that in terms of, like, tension. Like, the only thing that's kind of driving the plot is that we're heading towards the 10th on her calendar. Well, when it's also, um, amphibian man is deteriorating, malting, not doing well. (laughs) That's true. That was weird. I I thought that subplot was too ambiguous, at least for me. There was a lot of really weird and ambiguous, like, Oh, he can heal himself and everyone else except (laughs) when he can't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah why didn't he just heal himself electric stick? Be- because yeah because yeah science. and why wasn't he healing himself in the lab because when they were cattle prodding him because he needed love <laughs> Ab- uh, absolutely uh, wh- while we're still vaguely on this topic of the science man i thought what he really needed so they were trying to play him up like yeah he's a russian spy trying to uh, get the fish man for the russians or kill him but mm-hmm. he's conflicted with his uh, duty as a scientist to not like kill a right unknown specimen that they could learn from. So I, I thought that they set that up interestingly enough, but they just didn't address the conflict. They just kind of had his science man helpfulness went out in the end. But it didn't, and that's what bothered me. He goes through all of this, he knows he's dead, and then he's like, I'm going to give you the information you need to go and find him. <laughs> right. It's like, why, why would you have spilled the beans at that point? Also, can I just say that, that that's the hooking his finger through the Ooh. hole in his mouth, that was like one of the most painful things I've ever watched. <laughs> that, I, that was pretty I cool, almost, I, I, was like, I almost hit the person sitting next to me because I, I actually like pulled the my arms and legs like in because I was like ah and then I was like I'm on a plane with strangers okay calm down yeah that that was pretty uh graphic I, I thought that was pretty well done I there also was a, there knew was some... that Richard was going to pull his fingers off at some point yeah oh yeah so that was another it was like, those, those like, like uh, 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 moment the the most grotesque uh Chekhov's gun you've ever yes. had in a film <laughs> Yeah, I was th- honestly surprised he didn't do it in the Cadillac. Like yeah. uh, when he starts like squeezing in the pus yes. starts coming out, I was like, okay, you, you might as well just take him off now, kid. Yeah, it's like yeah, these are clearly not taking. What did we? <laughs> what did? What did we all? What did we all think of the subplot of the two fingers? Like symbolically, what was that all about? Oh, or do gosh. you think that was just Del Toro being gross? I think he did Del Toro just because. body horror. Body horror grossness. Thoughts. Anyone? I mean, I th- do we do we want to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> I think that you could definitely make an argument for it represented, you know, the the. I don't want to say. I have the a take man, on this, but well, so my my take on the fingers was that. Um, when we're first introduced to him, his name is Richard, yep. right? Richard yeah. Strickland? Strickland, yeah. Yes. So when we're first introduced to him, he kind of <coughs> establishes that his character is all about things being normal. Like he calls the fish man an abomination and it's uh-huh. like, this is not natural, this is not normal. So to me, the him like trying to sew his two fingers back on and, and keep them attached was like him trying to hold on to normalcy. being like a normal normalcy. Right. And like, he's losing his grip on normalcy. <laughs> like as the, as the film he's goes losing on his grip on normal. Uh, 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 puns for days. This is what, this is what y'all tune in for is, is the puns. Uh-huh. 
Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I, See, I buy that. That's interesting. The only other connection I really made with it... Uh, first of all, I want to say I really enjoyed just watching throughout the film. Like, you can slowly... The makeup artist did a very good job with those fingers because uh, as the film goes on, you can see them <laughs> becoming more and more like discolored and pungent. So, if, yeah. as a medical a professional, Phil, was this an accurate depiction of what would happen if you had two fingers severed and then you tried to reattach them and they didn't? Uh, take? Not, not to put my reputation on the line here. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I your, your entire. We're like, sending oh, this oh. episode to the board, by the way. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> I want to say just based on what i know they'd probably reject faster it wouldn't be over the course of several weeks like this movie mm-hmm. has right um yeah i don't think it would have taken that long and i was honestly so i was uh, guessing near the end of the movie that he was going kind of crazy because uh one of the main worries you have to be uh a worried about stuff like gangrene and like infection stuff like that is going septic where the bacteria and whatnot uh, enter the bloodstream and they oh, travel with, like, the brain, the heart, etc. I was assuming he was going crazy because the, eventually he was going to go septic and die at the end. But, nope. Got fish cut. Yeah. Only after being hit in the head with a girder. <laughs> and then uh, getting cut with very sharp fins and claws and whatnot. Uh, but specifically about the fingers, I thought it was also interesting that uh, it was one of the fingers was his ring finger. And they uh, kind of showed us a little bit, of, a few scenes of uh, his marriage and, like, the stereotypical, like, uh, nuclear family. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of getting at sort of like the happy, everything's wonderful on the outside, but inside it's a like a not a great marriage and like mm-hmm. how decayed and bad it is. I thought that was just kind of what I was heading towards. So one subplot that I thought was interesting, but again, it was something that was in there and it didn't end up going anywhere, was his attraction to Eliza. Yeah. Um, because we have the scene where he's he's having sex with his wife and he's mm-hmm. telling her to be quiet. Yeah. So that's kind of putting in the seeds of like what happens later where he, he makes a pass at Eliza at work and saying that he likes the fact that she can't talk. Mm-hmm. A pass and is so a nice we, way of putting it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a forceful yeah. pass. Yeah. Forceful, yeah. Uh, not, you know... Um, he Somebody needs to, you know, go back to sexual harassment training. <laughs> Title IX. <laughs> and then that was the last we saw of that subplot you know it's yeah. like that didn't that was it i guess there was the scene later when she goes into his office and she's like cursing at him in sign language but that that's i don't know if that's related it felt like that didn't resolve yeah well you know among other things that didn't resolve like you mentioned they planted that like idea super early with that uh scene with his wife but like mm-hmm. by the time they have him uh harassing her about it like, that's later into the movie. Like, I think it's all close to the hour mark, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a bit later, and that's... Um, and yeah, like, but the fact it, that you know, only I, other, other time it really gets brought up in any significant way is uh, the scene where, like you said, she's cussing him out. Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's just there's a lot of indulgent stuff like that where... Mm. The stuff, it didn't really need to be there for the your core plot to work these little subplots that just kind of spin off and don't go anywhere. Or, or like the one thing that kind of got on my nerves a bit was the subplot with Zelda and his, or her husband, Harold, I think. <laughs> Brewster. Well, Brewster. Thank you. Thank you, Harold. So uh, before you start, I just want to say I was very disappointed that we did get to see Brewster. <laughs> I liked him better as this, this amorphous force in the film that we only hear about. It's like my man, Brewster and this and that. But then we, we ended up seeing Brewster's, oh, okay, that mm-hmm. was not as epic as I imagined him being. Yeah, just just a normal guy watching TV, being lazy. Um, anyway, sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, like, when they had the final confrontation after uh, Brewster tells uh, Mr. Strickland where uh, to find the fish man, like, they mm-hmm. had a little bit of, like, so they've, they've been building up the entire movie to this, all of her complaining about all the stuff Brewster won't do and how, like, what a horrible husband he is. But, like, right. they they have her telling him off a little bit, but it didn't really feel like a resolution to all the, like, constant, like, bringing it up Zelda does throughout the film. I thought well, that was kind of like, a Well, it's like, it sort of felt like they wanted to have their cake and eat it, too. It's like Brewster only shows up in the last five minutes of the movie. So, like, you, you can't just have him not be in the plot and you only hear about him and then have, like, a meaningful confrontation with him at the last second, you know? Mm-hmm. One uh, theme I think was pretty prevalent throughout that we haven't really touched on is the theme of, like, being a man. 
like all the men in this movie. So you have uh, Mr. Strickland, you have Brewster at the very end, and then you have the scientist man, mm-hmm. then you have the fish man. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like a large theme of this movie is sort of like what it means to be a man and how like the reason why, uh, oh, main character, I can't think of the name of right now. Uh, the reason why she's attracted Eliza. to the, Eliza, thank you. The reason why she's attracted to the fish man, I, the large majority of what I got from the movie was the fact that she was like, uh, he was like, gosh, I can't talk. Good night. Um, <laughs> he, he, he was like her in a sense that uh, society... They're like, both like, de- yeah, they're both rejects. like rejects from yeah. society. Mm-hmm. And also like all the guys in the movie are absolutely despicable. Except Which for kind Giles of, and arguably Dr. Robert Hoss, Yeah, yeah. Lur, Lur, whatever his name is. Mr. Was. Bob. Bob. Good old Bob. Bob. Um, but yeah, like, so all the relatable good men in this movie are rejects. Whereas mm-hmm. all the, like, quintessential, like, nuclear family, like, dad, and, like, the upstanding citizens are played up as, like, horrible, manipulative, domineering people yeah this this movie's like core message did seem to be like sort of like championing like rejects and like outcasts from society and sort of like you know painting like normal people in in a you know worse light Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah so one other scene that comes to mind i did want to touch on is the uh, musical number towards the end <laughs> that kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> oh yeah, that thing. Uh, what did we think of that? Um, uh, I Robert? thought that it was an odd choice to start La La Land in the middle of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, La La Land's good. Good stuff. Put, put it in did, there. We should have just watched La La Land, except I guess that probably falls outside the, it the category for this month. It was uh, like it was like 2016, yes, wasn't it? Because it almost won. The, Lost to Moonlight. Yes, sort of. <laughs> sort of. There's a whole thing. Yeah, I, I liked the the whole, like, Bubsy Berkeley thing stylistically. Like, again, it's like the visuals were great. I loved, like, mm-hmm. that we went into, like, black and white, you know, that it was, like, all the stuff we'd been seeing on the TVs throughout right, the film. Exactly. Up to this yeah. point, suddenly, it was now it was real. So I liked it stylistically, but I was just kind of questioning, well, like, what did this really add at this point other than, like, we get across that she's sad that he's leaving? Yeah, I think it was, like, trying to show that she's found her voice in him. Like, this yeah, this yeah. is her opportunity to to speak. Um, so we, mm. we go into her right. there and... and yeah see where she's at but i would agree it was kind of self-indulgent it probably yeah it was it was I, definitely a choice you know you have to i, I think you have to make, it, it maybe it would have struck me better if there hadn't been so many indulgent moments up to that point in the film like if this was his one indulgence you know i would have been okay with it but because there's so many like little sure. sidetracks like you know did there need to be two lovemaking scenes in this <laughs> film? Like, we could have just had one and you get the idea. Like, did we need two that were, like, almost identical? Right. Yeah. But um, it's what people are paying for. for <laughs> the record, listeners at home, um, you cannot just use your bath towels to make a seal <laughs> tight enough to fill an entire room. That's I don't know. Not how I think we're gonna work. have to um, we're gonna have to call in the MythBusters <laughs> on this one. Get me Adam Savage. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. No, but then I think that kind of goes into the whole like fact, you know, the surrealist tone yes. of the film. It, yeah, but I was kind of rolling my eyes through that scene. It just seemed like indulgent, like borderline fetish. Yes, kind of material. And the. Uh, owner of the theater or whatever is like, oh yeah, you better fix the pipe of clearly like thousands of gallons of water up here. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, that's it. Well, if they're gonna fix the did, pipe, I guess it's fine. Who cares about did, my property? Did anyone, 
Did anyone think that the the landlord was uh, reminiscent of Mr. Dickovich from Spider-Man 2? I didn't think that, but yes, fair. Now that you say that. Get me my rent. So, yeah, I I realized that I've just been dumping on this movie for the last 40 minutes, but, you know, (laughs) I, (laughs) um, I think overall it was positive with several reservations. I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend this. I, I I thought, like, almost the aesthetics of it and the visuals of it were enough to carry me through to being mm-hmm. kind of overwhelmingly positive. Because yeah. I do really did really enjoy that sort of, like, uh, bizarro, mature, like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, like that really larger-than-life but also yeah. grotesque sort of atmosphere that the movie had. Yeah, but at the same time, I thought the writing was sloppy, and like we've been saying, he's kind of indulgent. But mm-hmm. visually, I, I would say it's worth watching once just for the visuals, yes. because there's some mm-hmm. of, some of the scenes I thought were just absolutely striking. Like they they're just very uh, very well shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Mm-hmm. The set pieces also, I thought there is actually a fairly self-contained uh, movie. I thought it reminded me most of like a stage play adapted to a movie because you have like. The, you have, like, the uh, factory area where they're, like, keeping the fish. You have the apartment. Mm-hmm. You have the diner and then a couple of other, like, smaller locations you only see a couple of times. So what so. you're saying is the Shape of Water Shape Jr. Of Water Jr. win. <laughs> I think we need to call up the Act 1 and have them get cracking on that one. Come into a community theater near you. <laughs> oh, baby. If they could do Peter Pan. Just have them fill the theater with water. <laughs> just get some bath towels. <laughs> plug up the doors. Get some bath towels. <laughs> the last, like, three minutes where they're floating there with the narration, I thought that was an interesting way to end it, because you don't mm-hmm. have any of the other characters seeing them. So this could all just be, like, a fantasization, like, what could have been. Like, interesting. That's that's kind of how I took it. It was ambiguous, like, this could have ha- been how she survived, but it depends on how much you're willing to suspend your disbelief. The the final shot was certainly like very artfully, like that was like wallpaper material, like with her in the water with the one shoe coming shoe off. off. Yeah, it's very nicely done. Um, can we just have a moment of silence though for Pandora the cat? Uh, I was gonna bring up the cat. It bugged me that that moment was like ripped from Stranger Things, like there's a scene almost exactly like it. And I wonder who ripped off who, or if it was just one of those mm. weird coincidences, coincidences in movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Any, <laughs> any closing thoughts guys? Closing thoughts. Well, I don't think I'm taking this to the desert Island with me. <laughs> no. Um, um, I think I'll have enough water to look at. <laughs> Who knows, you might might meet a fish man. Might meet a fish man. Oh, baby. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, if if they just tightened up a lot of the story elements, like, I could see this working as a shorter film, but the Mm. way it was, just there's enough bloat there that I weighed it down a bit for me. But overall, I'd say watch it. It's good. Not great. Worth the watch, but not great. Yeah. Yeah. Worth a rental. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not going on the mantle. (laughs) Well, no, no, Phil. Around here, we say, is it going on the desert island? Uh, Is it going on the desert island? Uh, No. Uh, Brennan, any closing thoughts? Oh, Brennan says, my computer just froze. Um, Now Uh, he just messaged that uh, it was his favorite film. Um, (laughs) He loved all of it, and he hates us. For uh, for dumping on it. For dumping he, on it. He's also saying that it's it's like an onion. This movie it has <laughs> layers. <laughs> it's got layers. It's more of a parfait, but but yeah, yeah, I see where he's coming from. I I no, think no. that uh, we we could have benefited from Mike Myers voicing the fish man. Like that was really what was <laughs> missing. Here. Yes. What are you doing in the tank? In the tank. Oh. <laughs> You're going the right way for I a smack bottom. I would have stood up in my bedroom where I was watching and given a standing ovation. 
<laughs> if the fish man just started talking in Shrek's voice. Can we dub this? I need this Shrek life. is life. Oh. <laughs> mm, too powerful. Uh, right. Well, uh, so that's Shape of Water, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next week, we're going to be doing Robert's Hopefully pick. more coherent. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. This is another Oscar winner, I believe. Yeah. Did It won something, yeah. didn't it? It got nominated. Did it get Best Actress? I think Frances McDormand did win Best Actress for this. Uh, it's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is the film. Uh, I've never seen it. Uh, I don't think any of us have seen it, actually. Um, so it should be I fun. Have not. Cool, cool. Well. Cool, cool. Uh, one best drama, best actress, best supporting actor, and best screenplay. Oh, oh! So it actually won quite a bit. Then. Yeah. So more than Shape of Water, I bet. So get oh. excited! It's gonna be great. <laughs> Is it more or less Oscar bait than Shape of Water? Darkly comic, a renegade masterpiece. So be excited. A little. I actually just. So the fact that Shape of Water won Best Picture is still kind of flooring me. Just, yeah. Like, I thought Three Billboards was like the most Oscar Beatty sort of thing. Not not you know prematurely dumping on it, but just like the premise and the cast and just the general tone of it seemed like okay, they're they're shooting for an Oscar yeah. here. Where Shape of Water just seemed like a Del Toro pet project, and then it ends up winning Best Picture. So, um, yeah, that was interesting in my opinion yeah next time we'll be doing three billboards talk to y'all later thanks for (laughs) popping guys bye yeah have a good night bye